This morning, uh, a lot of self-revelation this morning uh, as we spend our time together in God's Word. I'd, I'd like to make you aware of a condition that I was born with. I was born with a very unique condition. It's not a rare condition, and I know many people in here are also born with the same condition. It's called YSS. Anybody born with YSS other than me? Just me. Okay. YSS stands for Younger Sibling Syndrome, and uh, it's plagued me my whole life. There are times where I have worse flare-ups than others, but uh, it was a a unique battle throughout my existence. Uh, To my older brother, uh, it was very abundant to him, this condition I was born with, um, because, see, my brother was four years older than me, and and he would do a lot of things, uh, he would have a lot of things that he would want to do, but he was limited, he was hindered uh, in certain in certain ways. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever, is anybody here the oldest and you have a younger sibling, all right? So y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm talking about when you got this this anchor, this this uh, ball and chain tied around your, your ankle that's like a younger sibling, you know what I mean? Everything you're trying to do or you're trying to be cool or you're trying to be with your friends, inevitably uh, your younger sibling's gonna pop up and make the statement of, well, I wanna go. Oh, take me with you. And, and inevitably, you know, what you're going to do, what you're going to say, because you're a loving big brother or sister, what are you going to tell them? No, get lost, leave me alone. And then we see the beginnings of the understanding of upper management when younger sibling bypasses you and goes straight to mom or dad. You know? I want to go to the movies too, but some of my sibling won't let me. Well, you're already going. You know, I dealt with this my whole life. And to my older brother, uh, when he was trying to do cool things or fun things or maybe things he wasn't supposed to be doing, I was a stumbling block to that. I was a hindrance to that because he had to figure out a way to carefully navigate around younger brother in order to get to his accomplishment, which is the movies or with his friends or whatever it is that we're going to do. I was a stumbling block. He had to figure out how to work his way around me. And that's what we're talking about this morning. The question I'm asking you today is, who are you calling a stumbling block? And I want us to look in Matthew chapter 16 as we walk through God's word together and and let him kind of unpack for us what we need to see this morning. As you're turning to Matthew 16, let me to set up the stage a little bit. Matthew 16, this is a turning point in the book of Matthew. If you've been watching, if you've been studying, if you know about the book of Matthew, you see that we have Jesus on the scene. Uh, we have, uh, he has these disciples that are following around. They're seeing live up close and in person the, who Jesus is, what his ministry has done, what the, the unbelievable things they've been able to see because of Jesus. But just like we are here on March the 10th, you know, next month we're going to be uh, having Easter um, and we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate it every week, church. I hope y'all understand that. It's not just a once a year thing. It's a, it should be a daily practice in each one of our lives. Um, but just like as he was preparing for what was coming in Easter, we're kind of taking this page, this passage is looking at it as well, but it, it's, it kind of applies to us because Jesus knew the story. Jesus knew the timeline. Jesus knew what the end goal was. The disciples did not. The disciples uh, knew Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. They trusted in that to a certain degree. Uh, and they were seeing Jesus do some really cool and amazing things. There were people all over the region that when Jesus showed up, they packed the house. Um, they filled up the, the hillside. They did whatever it was. 
Because they were guaranteed if they showed up that somebody's going to get healed and we're probably going to get a fish sandwich out of it. You know, they, they showed up because what Jesus was doing, they understood. But see, they didn't understand what was about to take place. And here in Matthew 16, it's the first time that Jesus really starts unpacking for the disciples kind of what happens next in the journey. All right. So I want us to look at Matthew 16 together. We're going to be looking just a portion of this text together this morning, beginning in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said to the rest of his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom." It's an amazing passage. It's the first time that Jesus just kind of black and white said, hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go. There's going to be a conspiracy against me. I'm going to be rejected by all these religious leaders and people in power. And they're going to kill me. And then I'm going to be raised again on the third day. It kind of makes you wonder when you see their reaction, not just uh, in chapter 17, but through the end of the book, when we see their reaction, if they even heard that last and phrase, you know, when Jesus said, and I'll be raised again. It's like they believed everything else. And we see Peter, obviously, he's kind of the first one that kind of gets his thoughts about him. And he's the first one that kind of responds to that in rebellion and rebuking. We'll get to that in a minute. But the rest of them were just kind of in a fog, I would imagine. Maybe they were just kind of in disbelief. Even up to the point that after Jesus was crucified and when he showed up the first time, they were still in disbelief. Like, this can't, this can't be him. They didn't get it. But Peter really grabbed a hold of that phrase when Jesus was talking. And it's amazing what we see took place. In verse 22, Peter took him aside. Literally what that means is basically Peter said, oh, okay, Jesus, wow, let's don't get too riled up about whole martyrdom here. Uh, here, come over here, buddy. Let's, let's have a conversation. He pulls Jesus off to the side, literally. And it says he began to rebuke Jesus. So the Greek word here is, is a, a word I can't pronounce, but it's most akin to the word chide. Have you ever chided somebody? You didn't call it that, I know, but did you ever chide somebody? It's, it's, it's a little stingy, you know, it, it's pointed, you know. So he pulls Jesus to the side and he's like, Jesus, dude, like, no, um, this isn't going to happen to you. You think about that for just a minute. Here's Peter. And we all, you know, Peter's one of these really unique guys. Peter was pulling Jesus, the son of God. As we've been talking about in our Apostles' Creed study, God the Father, this is God the Son. Okay, God the Son. He pulled God the Son aside and began telling him 
what he was and wasn't going to do. <laughs> Are y'all picking up on this? Like, for real. Mm-hmm. Tell me how that works out for you, Peter. You're not going to do this. This isn't going to happen. This, no, 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 no. No. He chided Jesus. And Jesus probably was over here. And, and you know, Jesus, God the Son, loved Peter. Uh, had poured into Peter, had poured years of his life into Peter, and recognized what Peter was going to become. And you know, let's, let me hit the pause button on this story, because just like six verses earlier, if you look back up, we didn't read it, but just like six verses earlier, we see that Jesus asked his disciples this question, who do, who do you say I am? Well, some say this, some say this, some say this. He said, that's great, but who do you say I am? And just like in this text, in that text, we see Peter being the only one that responded. He said, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And Jesus said, hey, you know what, Peter? Great job. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. This was revealed to you by God's blood. And from upon this day, I'm going to name you Peter. You'll be a rock. That's what his name meant. You're the rock. All right, so fast forward six verses later, and this rock, the guy, the one that made his confession... That Jesus was the son of God. He looked at him and he's like, get behind me, Satan. You know, there are some nicknames that you're given in life that you enjoy and then some you just want to forget forever. I don't know if anyone's ever been called Satan. I don't know if anyone's ever called you Satan. But I assure you, I, I doubt Jesus has called you Satan. And he said, get behind me, Satan. Because like just about six verses ago, you'll, you'll get it one day, Peter. Just like six verses ago, I named you the rock. And now you're nothing but a stumbling rock to me. He actually uses that word. He uses that phrase in that verse. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. And why was Peter a stumbling block to Jesus? He explains right here. You do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. The first thing we see in this text is why was Peter a stumbling block? Because this wasn't Peter's plan. This wasn't Peter's plan. When Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan, you're just a stumbling block to me. The reason Peter was labeled a stumbling block is because he pulled him aside and chided him because this isn't the way Peter wanted it to go. Because they believed him. And obviously in his confession, you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. He understood that, that Jesus was here to be about a kingdom. And he's sitting here thinking, all right, here we are in Jerusalem, capital city, the, the kingdom and Jesus, and he's here and everything's happening. And we're going to see this kingdom begin to unfold. Matter of fact, the kingdom that Peter probably had in mind was the same kingdom that Satan had in mind when he went and tempted Jesus. And he started offering him the whole world if he would just bow to him. So maybe that's what Jesus meant. And he said, dude, get behind me, Satan. I've heard this before. That it's not going to happen this way, it should happen your way, Peter. Is that it? And he was a stumbling block because he had his mind on what he wanted. Not on what God might have planned. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. You have in mind the concerns of man. Can I, can we, well, you already know about my YSS syndrome. Can I just be honest with you a little bit more? This is me. This is me all over it, man. This is all over it. 
See, I've, I've been blessed. Somebody asked me this week. I had to go to my, I got to go to Montgomery and spend some time working with a ministry team down there at the state office. And and one of these smart aleck youth pastors. No offense, Terrence. I, I know I I connect the dog. I'm not, you know I'm not throwing darts. One of these youth pastors walked up to me. He was like, "So hey, pastor, what's it like to be a pastor?" I'm like, "Dude, you're a youth pastor. You've been doing it your whole life, you know." So we started having this conversation and he's like, well, what are you preaching on? I'm like, you've never asked me that before. <laughs> why ask, why are you asking me these questions? So we, we started having these conversations and man, I'll be honest with you. Like getting to be called your pastor has been one of the coolest things that's ever happened in my life. But in the same context, like I struggle with this whole title, man. I struggle with this whole role. Okay. And I'm just being honest. We're just being transparent here. We're having a little Mr. Rogers' living room time, all right? But we get so caught up, or I get so caught up, and I don't speak for Terrence or Ben or David or Julie or any other minister that you ever did. I get so caught up. It's so easy to get caught up in the concerns of man that I miss the concerns of God. It's hard. It's hard because there are days where, well, I'll go home on a Sunday, and, and, and psh, pause button, hey, like, I'm, I'm chiding you if this is you, okay? So I'm chiding myself, and if you're a part of this, then I'm chiding you. I'm not, like, begging here, okay? Got it? I got a metal cup at home. If I'm begging, I'll be sitting out front on the, on the steps when we leave. You'll know when I'm begging, all right? So I'm chiding myself, and you can join in with it. But, like, there are times where I come home, and, like, I've, I measure my self-worth sometimes by how many attaboys I got after church that morning. Because I'm more concerned with the things of man than the things of God. And I'm not saying that like, oh, poor, pitiful me. I'm saying this is where I, I struggle in my sinfulness. Okay? This is where, like, this whole idea of what Peter is struggling with, I'm, I'm reading this text and I'm like, dude, that's, that's me too, that I get so caught up in what man craves, what man's desire. I get so caught up like Peter is. I get so caught up in my plans and how I want it to happen. And I might be the only one in the room, but I doubt it. That I get so caught up in, in, in what man thinks or pleasing man that I, that I lose sight of, of what God has called me to. And what you should have seen that youth pastor's face when I started unpacking that for him. He was like, oh, counseling session, no. And he went to like get a barbecue sandwich or something. So now I'm just going to defer to that to make people leave me alone, I guess. I don't know. But I struggle with this, man. I'm the same way. I get caught up in this. Caught up in the things, of caught up in this performance-driven thing to make sure that I make people happy, that it, that it happens the way I want it to. Church, here's, here's how you can do me a favor. Here's how you can do me a favor. I love being encouraged, and this has probably been the most encouraging season of my life, the last six to eight months of my life. But, but here's what I want you to do. When we study God's Word, it's not about me. It's not about anything related to what takes place on this stage. It's about the presence and the glory of God. That it is revealed through what has taken place on this stage, and that in response to God's revelation, 10th graders, you know what I'm talking about, in response to God's revelation, what do we do? We give him glory back. We give him the glory for what he has done, for what he's leading us into, for the things he's done in our life, even when they're the things we didn't want, we give him glory for it, okay? That is what we are pursuit of. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, church. I love encouragement. I'm thankful for that. But here's what I want you to do. Instead of attaboys, this will help me, all right? This will help me. People say, how can we serve you? This is how you can serve me. Don't give me attaboys. But if you're leaving, when, when, we're, when we see each other, if you reference anything that takes place because I'm quote-unquote pastor, just say this phrase, don't worry about me. 
Man, that would make my day. Don't worry about me. Justin, don't worry about me. I'll see you next Sunday. Oh, we'll meet on Wednesdays. (laughs) Some of y'all aren't laughing. I love you. I love you. I do. But just say that. Hey, don't worry about me because it's not about me and it's not about you. Don't worry about me. God's word is God's word and we're going to all move forward with it. Okay? So if you want to encourage, let's do that because that was Peter's plan. How Peter wanted Jesus to do his thing wasn't what Jesus, what God had in mind. And when it got in the face that Peter's plan wasn't taking place, he rebuked God the Son. It doesn't work that way if you've ever tried it. He rebuked God the Son. And it came down to this, my plan versus God's plan. That's where Peter was. And I got a feeling that every believer in this room has somehow wrestled with that, that it's my plan versus God's plan. The way I wanted it to happen versus the way that God wanted it to happen. Because you got to understand, the results of my plan is my glory. The results of God's plan is God's glory. And then so much more. So we got to understand what it is. When we see Peter making his confession in verse 6, not verse 6, excuse me, when it's verse 16, it says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. We see that he had accepted Christ as Messiah. And when I say accepted Christ, I'm not talking about he walked an aisle and met with an usher. No, when he accepted the fact that Jesus was who he says he was, he accepted Christ as the Messiah, but he rejected Christ, the sacrificial lamb. He accepted the kingdom of God. But he wasn't willing to accept Calvary because that's not part of his plan. Therefore, Jesus said, you're a stumbling block. And this is why Jesus could say to him, you're a stumbling block, Peter, because this was Jesus's plan as he continues on. And I'm a visual guy. I think about this. Like when I read scripture, I think about what did it look like? So I could see Peter pulling Jesus aside over here and he's like, Jesus, it's not going to happen that way. You're wrong. That's not. No, no, no. You don't say it again. Here's my feelings. And imagine Jesus just kind of being here just like, okay, I have three years and this is what I get. Like, seriously, I've poured so much into this guy. And I could just imagine, this is kind of what like, you know what, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Like, I could see him because the disciples over here, remember he pulled him aside. I could just, and this is not biblical, all right? So don't walk out of here and like read some lexicons and come attack me, okay? I'm just, this is how I like to see it in my head. When he says, get behind me, Satan, I can see him just turning his back and going over the disciples. Because what does he do right after he said, you know, get, get behind me, Satan. You're just a stumbling block because you're worried more about man than the things of God. And he turns and he immediately starts addressing his disciples. In this passage, he immediately says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. This was Jesus's plan. Deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Take up his cross. This was Jesus's plan. Peter's plan was what he wanted. Jesus' plan was this. Hey, hey guys, here's, here's what I've got in mind. I, I need you to take up your cross and follow me. And Jesus wasn't only revealing the death to which he would soon be a part of, but he was also revealing to them the life that they were called to, the life that we, the church, are still called to. Not just the death that he was going to to endure, but the life that we're called to carry out. I need you to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and follow me. This is what I'm asking you to do, disciples, including you, Peter. Get back over here. This is what I'm calling you to do, church. Take your cross that has the weight of it, that all the weight of the world that you keep trying to bear yourself, put that on the cross and follow me. 
Because you're about to die to that so that I might live through you. This is the purpose of the cross. So my question to this, just in response to this, are you pursuing your cross? Or is this a stumbling block to you? Are you trying to embrace the cross? If you look down in verse 27, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Jesus calls them to their cross, and then later in verse 27, he alludes to the fact that he's going to bring them their crown. Because, guys, there's a crown waiting for us who run the race and follow and let God be Lord of our lives. There's a crown waiting for us. He says it here. That in the end, he's going to come back for the reward that's waiting for you. So which reward are you pursuing, church? Are you embracing your cross or are you chasing your crown that this earth is trying to give you? Because just like Peter, he embraced the kingdom of God, but he rejected Calvary. We can't miss this. Do we seek the pleasure of God or are we seeking the pleasure of man? Do we seek to honor him with our lifestyle or to bleed this thing for as much as we can get out of it? That's the question we're dealing with today. To embrace the kingdom of God, we must go through Calvary. Our own personal Calvary and an understanding that just like this incredible testimony of being dead to the old self and alive in the newness of Christ, you got to go through Calvary to get there, to understand who Jesus is, what he has done. And we have to answer two questions. The first question is this, and it's for every single person in here to answer. It's the question of this. Are you going to choose heaven or are you going to choose hell? And trust me, just like I said last week, Not choosing one doesn't mean you bypass the other. If you choose heaven, we'll get to that in a minute, but if you say, you know what, I'm not choosing heaven, then you are by default choosing hell. Because your sin has separated you from God. A holy, loving father, but if God loves me, he wouldn't punish me. Not when you reject him. Not when you reject the greatest gift he's ever given to you in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, who through Christ forgave you of your sins, deeming you and declaring you whole and righteous in his sight, therefore drawing you into fellowship with him. So by not choosing heaven, you are choosing hell and rejecting Jesus as savior. That might sound harsh. Well, you know what? It's called the straight and narrow for a reason. It's the truth. And I don't stand here to judge you. I stand here to proclaim what God's word says. Because it's not just the fact that choosing hell and rejecting Christ, that's not the road you're destined for because God called you. He redeemed you. He loves you. He forgave you your sins. But you have to choose and you have to go and choose to accept that. That's not just a good feeling you have because you're no longer sorry for what you... It is a choice you have to make, church. Every single one of us. So the first choice we have to make is heaven or hell. And by not choosing heaven, we're choosing hell. But say we choose heaven and we accept Christ and we say, you know what? I give my life to Christ. And that's not just so that I can be baptized, church. I give my life to Christ means it is time for Jesus to be Lord of my life. In every area of my life, I choose Jesus. In my marriage, when I'm forced to have to honor and respect and love my spouse, even when it's hard, I choose Jesus. And marriages, husbands and wives, you have to get over yourself and choose Jesus for your marriage. Well, my spouse isn't choosing Jesus. Maybe you need to show them what it looks like. 
students, in your schools, maybe it's time to choose Jesus over the easy way out. Because it's certainly easy to sit by the smart person on that hard test that you chose not to study for your fault. It's easy to choose Jesus. Businessman, business lady, in your work, choose Jesus that looks like integrity than what is going taking place around you that does not. We choose Jesus to be Savior and Lord of our lives in every area. So the first choice is heaven or hell. The second choice for those who choose heaven is this, heaven or earth. Which one do you choose to live for? Which one are you building up for? Which one are you staking your claim in? Which one are you pursuing? The crown of this world or embracing the cross that we are called to take up? We see that this is the plan of Jesus. But understanding his plan takes us through Calvary. Joshua twenty four fifteen. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, man, we need some men in this church. We need some men in this world who love Jesus or proclaim to love Jesus to actually start doing it and make this statement. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And my wife might not be on board with that. My kids certainly might not be on board with that. But it's time that I show them and I teach them and I challenge them and I correct them and I rebuke them and I encourage them. Because that's what God's word has equipped me to do. And because of the power in the blood, I'm going to let it take root in my life. Jim Elliott, who was a missionary who was killed for his faith in Ecuador, famously famously wrote in his journal this statement. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Which crown are you pursuing, church? Are we pursuing the crown of this world? Or are we carrying our cross Knowing that the crown is coming. So in the path that you're on, are you a stumbling block? Are you a stumbling block because, hey, things are happening right now and this isn't the way I choose. And this isn't what I want. And I've already told God how I feel feel about it. And we haven't really spoken since. Are you a stumbling block? Because that's what Peter dealt with when Jesus looked at him and said, you're worried about what man is about rather than what God has called you to. So I'm just asking you, are you a stumbling block? Are you hindering what God is doing all around you because it's not what you want? Are you positioning yourself to please you or to honor the Lord? Are you a stumbling block for someone else? Maybe your family. Maybe your best friend, maybe your spouse. Are you a stumbling block by how you're living because you're living for yourself and not living to reflect Christ? Romans 14, 13 says this, Therefore, (laughs) let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. You're so consumed with, with me that I am causing others around me to stumble because I'm not being who I need to be in terms of being the body of Christ. Do you have stumbling blocks in your life? And if you're a follower of Christ, I assure you, you do. Because the enemy doesn't want you to grow closer to God. He doesn't want the glory of the Lord to be revealed in and through you. There will be stumbling blocks. What are the stumbling blocks that you can't seem to to crawl over? What are some stumbling blocks that are hindering you? 
And these might be just things that, well, Justin, I just can't t- seem to be consistent in spending time in the Word of God. That's a, that's a stumbling block. But you might have stumbling blocks that are a little bit more serious or some that are less serious. And I'm not here to judge one or the other. If it's a stumbling block, it's hindering you in growing in your relationship with God. You know, we as a church, we as a church, Westmead Baptist Church, we have stumbling blocks. We do. We have stumbling blocks. I mean, Terrence and I were having a conversation. Terrence needs five Jesus-loving adults who would be willing to invest in the lives of teenagers in Sunday school. That's a, that's a stumbling block because we need people to serve so that our students can grow in the ways of Christ. We have stumbling blocks here. We got a debt. We have a debt. A little history lesson. This church has had a debt hanging over our head for 30 years. How many of you have been a member of this church less than 30 years? Raise your hand. Okay, if y'all can't see from where I'm seeing, that's the majority of the room. We haven't, we haven't, a lot of us haven't known Westmead Church membership without debt hanging over our heads. And if this church, if we learn to obey and give obediently, if we tithe the way God has called us to, each and every one of us, we wouldn't be in debt. And we're not going to be in debt. God's going to deliver us from that very soon. I believe that. Do you? But what are the stumbling blocks in your life that are prohibiting you from growing in your relationship with God the Father. I encourage you this morning, in response to God's word, let him point out these areas in your life. Let him walk you through some things that are taking place in your life. And in doing so, understand that that Calvary might look like finding some things that have taken root in your life. And are you going to let that continue to be a stumbling block? Or is it time? To stop doing it the way we want to do it for our results. To let God have his way. Not for the crown this world offers, but for the cross our Savior bears. For the cross we're called to carry, so that one day when he comes back, we will receive a crown. His crown. And for some of you, for this day, is today the day that Jesus Christ becomes Lord of your life. And that might look like salvation. That might look like the day that you say, you know what, I'm done trying to do it all for myself. I'm ready to give it all to Jesus that he may save me from the consequences of my sin and reign as Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you, I would love to talk with you about that. In just a minute, uh, our David, our worship team is going to be leading us into a time of, of musical worship. And I'm going to be down front. I would love to talk with you about that. I would love to. If you're sitting there thinking, you know what, Justin, I know I'm a believer, but there are things in my life that aren't adding up There's, that Jesus is not receiving glory for. I just need some prayer. I'd love to pray with you. You can come. Let's, let's talk about it this morning. You might just want to come and find your place at the altar, which is another fancy church word for stairs. You might just want to come kneel at the steps as a kind of a symbol of, God, I'm moving towards you because I know when I move towards you, you meet me right where I am. And God, maybe, maybe today that's where you need to be is just to come and lay your stumbling blocks down or ask God to give you strength and courage and wisdom to get over them. Whatever it is this morning, church, let us respond in obedience. Let's quit trying to pull Jesus aside and tell him how he's wrong. And let's start submitting ourselves to the life that God has created and called us to as believers in Christ. And if you're not a believer, I'd love to talk to you about that. Let me pray for us this morning. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it's bigger and better than me. I thank you that 
in all of your wisdom and your holiness and your righteousness and in your perfection, God, you still desired fellowship with me and the people in this room. And you did so and you achieved that by sending your son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and died on a cross that that when we accept Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, his blood covers our sins. And God, we become the righteousness of God as you tell us in your word. So Father, today, for somebody that's struggling with that, I pray that today they lay it all down and they give their life to you. Father, I pray for the Christian in this room that for too long they have just been tripping and stumbling over stumbling blocks. They have been trying to do it their way. Perhaps, God, they have become a stumbling block in their home. Then, God, I pray pray that you restore them to who they are in Christ, the identity in Christ. That if that means that, that husbands and wives need to pray together, that husbands and wives need to apologize and ask forgiveness from one another, if a child needs to go to a parent or a parent needs to go to a child to restore that, that God, that we would be willing to do so, that our pride is not bigger than our obedience today, God, but that we would let you do things in our lives. God, if there are just things that are eating us alive from the inside out and we know it, Father, I pray that we bring them to you. God, whatever it is today, Father, I pray that we respond with your glory in mind. Not for what we're going to get out of it, but so that you can have all the glory for what's taking place in our lives. God, make us aware. And then God, lead us to do something about it, even starting right now. In your name we pray. Amen. I ask you to stand as we sing. There is no song we could sing. To honor the fate of your glory.